Hello and welcome to the Flex. Slightly different setup here. Joe and I watching a game together in person for the first time in uh, a while. Very long time. Yeah. Got to watch the Friars defeat St. John's in a close one there. I think a closer one than many people expected. They pull it out 83-80 to and get themselves a nice little break here with Jared Bynum out. Much needed break. Yeah, I, I, I can't say I'm shocked by the way that this one uh, turned out. You know, um, if you're a St. John's program that's been tumbling since the start of conference play, you know, this is a must-win opportunity for you. And a resume, you know, a season-saving resume-building win. Um, if you're the Friars in the same breath, it's also a must-win because, you know, you you just beat one of the best teams in the country. Now, you can't have one of the worst teams in the conference come in and beat you on your home floor after that because that's, a you know, a resume-tarnishing loss. So I'm not shocked uh, by the final score. Um, I thought there would be a, maybe a little bit more padding to the Friars' lead, but nonetheless, a win is a win is a win. Yep, at the end of the day, that is all that matters. The Friars get the win in this one. Before we get into it, a couple of reminders for you. First, we've teamed up with SeatGeek this season to get you the best deals for tickets to your favorite teams. SeatGeek takes the confusion out of buying tickets, and they're here to give you some great deals. Get in on the fun and head over to SeatGeek, download their app, and use code NCAA Hoops Digest for $20 off your first purchase. And also remember this podcast is presented by House Enterprise and in partnership with House of College Hoops. Head over to our site, house-enterprise.com, for more info. As far as win this one, 83 to 80. And I think the biggest takeaway here for me, Noah Locke stepping up with Jared Bynum out. He was Providence's leading scorer in this one. He ended up with 20 points, 5 of 8 from deep. And uh, uh, this is one of the best three-point shooting performances I think we've seen for a while in Friartown. Yeah, absolutely. And th- this is the Noah Locke week because he was on fire against Connecticut. Now he replicated that performance again tonight against St. John's. Um, this is the Noah Locke that was advertised to us in the offseason is uh, this sharp shooting, playmaking, you know, score at will type guard. And I think we've seen, you know, little glimpses of him being able to score when he needs to. But, um, you know, for the most part, he, he's been a, a sub double digit scorer as a friar. And, you know, this this week, he really he just he caught fire. He's been he's been locked in, excuse the pun. But um, no, he's been locked in this week. He's been look. He's looked really good. He's really, really confident. I think. um Probably my favorite sequence from today was when he drained that contested corner three and then was wide open and drained another one on the preceding possession on the other corner. So um, really, really great performance from Locke. He turned it on this week. And I liked I liked those shots from him. I think actually my favorite moment from him was later on when he kind of gave a head fake. He was going to shoot the three, draws the defense out and gets a wide open lane to the basket and gets the easy two points too. Anytime you can get basically a free two points, you're going to take that and Locke is not a super explosive guy around the rim. He's not going to drive too much. So having a guy like that be able to that, – that's how he's going to win going downhill is by hitting the shots on the outside, and he did that. Five of his seven made field goals were from the outside, but he hit the, just two two near the bucket, near near the, the basket there, and that matters. Um, Look around the box score too. So he had 20 points. Right behind him there was Devin Carter with 19. He also led the team with five assists. And he had the one steal on the day. I thought Devin Carter was the Devin Carter we've seen. I thought he was just as good as he's been over the last two, three weeks here. Yeah, and it's kind of it's kind of weird when you think about it because 
this is now the new normal for Devin Carter. Like, you know, 19 points, five rebounds, five assists in 36 minutes of playing time. Like, you know, back in November, that's like a shock to you. But the way he's been playing the past couple of games, this is what you expect out of Devin Carter. Um, you know, I, I thought perhaps Carter's most important contributions were late in the game when Breed was in foul trouble and we really needed ball handling uh, coming across half court, especially against Pasha Alexander, who, um, you know, was in Allen Breed shorts most of the game defensively. So I thought Carter stepped it up big uh, in the final minutes of the clock there. But an all around solid performance from him. You know, this is what you get. You know, this is the bar that's been set by Devin Carter, and he continues to hit it night in and night out. Yeah, he's been um, – I mean, he's going to get some all-conference awards if he yeah. keeps this up when all is said and done. I think he'll be second team at worst, the possible first team, depending on yeah. how this ends up looking. Because he's – we're talking about averaging around 20 points a game here recently. And if you're doing that, you're. it's hard to say you're not a first-team player in the Big East. The, the flip side here, I think – one of the more shocking things was Bryce Hopkins having an off day, uh, obviously still 10 and seven for him. <laughs> so it's still, I mean, it's a good day on an off one, but 10 points on 10 shots is not that efficient. Only 50% from the free throw line missed his one three. And I didn't think he made as much of an impact on the game. I thought St. John's did a much better job of defending him than we saw UConn do. They're forcing him, I think into positions where he was uncomfortable. Yeah. And, um, they didn't try to defend him one-on-one the same way that UConn was. Um, and they had success there. So I think well, I think one takeaway from this is we'll have to see if teams bring that type of effort from Hopkins in the future, especially if Bynum remains out and how Hopkins is able to respond to that. Yeah, I'm looking at the stat sheet now. I was looking at his turnovers because I feel like he got stripped a lot in the paint, especially when he was trying those spin moves. And I think one uh, plus two equals three, Matt. Uh, well, obviously <laughs> – kindergarten math here but metaphorically speaking you know when you bring in all those defenders Hopkins tries to change his rhythm a little bit and enter the spin move enter some more finesse that we haven't seen from him in the paint and the result is he's getting stripped he looks a little uncomfortable but I think what we saw tonight from Hopkins you know 10 and 7 this is an off night from him this is what this is a bench player's dream is 10 and 7 um but this is now, you know, the second or third time this this Big East Conference season when, you know, Hopkins isn't playing at his best, I think, of at Butler and at DePaul as, you know, two mirror games to this one. But the other guys are picking up the slack. And I think that's what's so important right now is when you have a focal point of your team like Bryce Hopkins, that the guys like Devin Carter, like Noah Locke, like Alan Breed, who we haven't talked about yet, like those guys come in and support around you and make up for the slack. They pick up the slack on the other end. And when they're doing that and Hopkins is on, that's when you're beating the Yukons of the world by 12 points. So I think this is, you know, obviously not a double figure win, but it's still a very good win with respect to all the, all the other pieces doing what they're supposed to do in place of Hopkins having a powerful night in place of Bynum starting at the point guard. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that's huge. This was an afternoon where you're down your starting point guard. Yeah. And conference play and just being able to get a win in that situation is always big. I thought we saw St. John's play one of their better games here in conference play. I thought they came to play really well. I thought Joel Soriano did a good job. Croswell looks really good on the stat sheet, but just from the eye, I think he was good on offense, but defensively he had some issues there against Soriano and offensive rebounding in particular. Croswell did not have his best day. The team did not have its best day there. This is two games in a row now. They've struggled a little bit. 
yeah. on the offensive class. Only six offensive rebounds. They got outscored on second chances too, and nine to seven by St. John's, which is not typical. And that's not about Jared Bynum. That means some of these guys have to step up. Yeah. Clifton Moore only played five minutes. Rafael Castro played four minutes. Croswell's going almost wire to wire here with a 35-minute game. So part of that, I think, is exhaust, exhaustion. Need to get a little bit more from Clifton Moore in one like this. But you're down a player in a letdown position, and you get an opponent's best shot at home, and you survive. You will take that and go on to the next Absolutely. one. Absolutely. And I think it's worth pointing out also, like we saw St. John's get blown out by Marquette in the second half of that last one. We saw them get blown out in the second half by Villanova. Let's remember, first of all, in both of those games, they had a lead on Villanova and Marquette at the half. Yep. So they, they've played good basketball in between those two. They also got – they were playing Xavier pretty close. Yeah. And, I mean, this is also a Xavier team that played close with Seton Hall. So I know, like, the bottom of the Big East does not look great right now, especially when you look at the win totals. But they have played teams close, and games like this are going to happen every once in a while. So you wish you'd win by more but you'll take the win. Uh, I'll tell you, I, I'm not, you know, too hung up on the final score. I'm very happy that we won. You know, the number I wanted to get to today was six, six Big East wins, and that's the number we got to. I don't really care about 83-80 or anything like that. And But you know what? This is a St. John's team that's desperate right now. They had one of the weakest non-conference schedules in the country, and now that it's been put on full display that this is not a, a, a very good St. John's team. They have talented pieces, but the talented pieces have yet to formulate together as a cohesive unit that's churning wins. And that's the difference right now is that against inferior opponents, and when I say inferior, I mean really inferior opponents, sure, you look great, and, and it's all butterflies and daisies, and you're picking up 10 wins in, in the non-conference, but then you come into conference play and you're playing teams that are talented and that play together and that are, are just better than everyone else that you've played. This is what happens. So they came in. They have a chip on their shoulder. Both of the St. John's games uh, from last season were very chippy, and we ended that series last year with a very close win at Carneseca. Players were chirping. I'm sure that remained in the players' minds, in Mike Anderson's minds. They wanted to come back in here and get some revenge, especially on a team in Providence that's now trending upwards. That's a, the, Everything about this matchup for St. John's screamed, we need to win this game. I'm just thankful that we were able to pull it out and the Friars got the dub. Yeah, and I think you look at a game like this, and it's going to be the little things that make the difference. It's yep. going to be the coaching that makes a difference. I look at the the one-shot technical flop in the first half, which yep. ends up making a big difference here. I look at was that Soriano getting into it with Ed Cooley, yep. getting the technical for that. That makes a difference here. And the Friars did not have their best day at the free throw line. That is for sure. But Devin Carter hit two free throws with five seconds left to kind of put the game on ice there. Yep. Carswell hits one at the end that make sure it stays a three-point game so St. John's can only tie it if they put up a heave, and that gets you the win. I don't. This was not the team's best day. There's a lot to work on, but they did the little things you have to do to win basketball games. They looked like the better coached team out there, even if they kind of struggled at certain points. Um, also, Ed, I'm not shocked that the St. John's offense gave Providence's defense some, some issues. No. UConn, their offense is big and physical and likes to play in the half court, and that helps the Friars because – their issues have been with communication. So nothing about UConn was really putting a ton of pressure on Providence's defense to stretch out and communicate. And yep. there were aspects of a three-man weave and all that. St. John's plays a lot faster and a lot more aggressively, and that's where issues show up for Providence's defense. They also play faster. Yep. 80 points by St. John's is probably around what 72, 73 points is for a UConn or a Villanova when you look at points per possession. Yeah. So it's not, it's not the end of the world defensively. I think you'd like to be a little bit better. 
But St. John's had a good day, and that's going to happen sometimes. No, I mean, you can let St. John's have a good day. Um, but, it, you know, it, it's just even more telling when you look at coaching on St. John's is one of St. John's better conference games and one of Providence's worst conference games. Providence comes out with the win. Um, and this is something we said in real time today, watching the end of the game is that this, this is where Anderson's going to get out coached is in the final two or three minutes here when, you know, Ed Cooley's got the ball in, in his guy's hands with the clock running out in a tight score because, Cooley says he loves close games. He loves tight finishes and no one is better in the country than him at closing out games that are tight. And that's something he actually said in a post game press conference earlier this season. So I wasn't necessarily concerned, um, but I think everything you said, Matt, you know, uh, St. John's offense gave our defense some fits at points. I think you look at that stretch at the end of the first half. And I think that, you know, is really the epitome of that statement there is, you know, St. John's offense goes on a little run. I think they were up probably seven or eight at one point on us. So uh, our defense needed to adjust, and I think they made those adjustments. But this is a St. John's offense that is going to give some teams problems, and they're going to beat some teams they're not supposed to. I just hope it's not us. Um, but I can see them upsetting, you know, a Villanova, maybe a Creighton or a Marquette. Um, but, hey, this is this is Big East basketball, baby. This is, this is what you pay for. Yeah. And you're going to get a lot of close games. In these, I mean, that's just, that's the name of the game. We saw the Friars do it last year. I think the big difference is you don't want to make it an every night thing. That's if no. you make it an every night thing, you, people are going to start to call the wins into question a little bit and you don't want to do that. Like so, yeah. So they still got to play Butler at home. They still got to play DePaul at home. They still got to play Georgetown twice. Those are games right now that you got to find a way to win all of those by double figures. Yeah. I think you want to do that. They still right now, Villanova, when they play Villanova at home, that's a quad three game because of what Villanova's net is right now. And if that's going to end up staying that way, that's a game you not only have to win, you probably got to win that by double figures. Those are the opponents you want to put away. Yeah. And I think when you look at what, where Providence is today, they're not actually, but they're hung over from this UConn game. You know, there was a lot of anticipation building up to that. You know, like you said, Matt, I, I like the way you put it. We were in position to be in position after that Butler game. We were in position after that DePaul win, there's a lot of anticipation building up to that fourth-ranked team in the country coming in for the first time since conference reconfiguration. You knock them off by 12 at home. Electric crowd, 8.30 tip. All right, two days pass. Now it's noon on a cold Saturday in Rhode Island. The dunk was filled, but it's not, a, it's not as, as lubricated as that Wednesday night performance. You know, this isn't the, the type of Providence performance that we're going to see. Keep in mind, Hopkins had an off day. Jared Bynum's out. So you're not playing at full strength, you know. You're a little hungover from the UConn game. It makes sense to come out and kind of limp into this one. Maybe not limp, but jog into this game. Um, the the only takeaway now is you have a week off. You're undefeated in conference play. You're riding a nine-game winning streak. Now you have to go back to the Midwest. And this is where, you know, the season is going to be made, is how you perform at Creighton and then at Marquette, who you already beat at home this year. Yeah, and that's going to be that's going to be a huge, huge test. For this team, if you come away with one win in those two games, I think you got to be happy with it. Yeah. It's funny, too. You talk about like the way the team started. The Friars actually came out really hot in this game, and I thought yeah. we were looking at them putting away St. John's with ease. And then they went to the bench. I thought Jaden Pierre was really, really up and down today. Mm-hmm. Corey Floyd still didn't get a ton of minutes. He missed a shot in there, the only shot he took. And you put it all together. It's just the backcourt doesn't have the depth without Bottom. Yeah. right now and it's not a bad backcourt they played well against UConn you're just not going to get that from those guys every game that's that's the way it goes and also it's 
when Bynum goes out mid-game, all right, UConn's not preparing for Jaden Pierre and Corey Floyd, really. And the game plan changes, and you have to adjust on the fly. It's a little bit different when you got a couple of days to scout and say, all right, well, we know Bynum's not going to be playing, so we're going to prepare for the other stuff they're going to do. And I thought St. John's handled that well, and these guys are young. They're going to play more. They're not going to get serious minutes until next season anyway, no. Pierre and Floyd. So, like, it's if anything you get from them this year is really good, and there's a lot of there's a lot of – backcourts in the Big East right now that struggle with depth. It's not just the Friars. No, yeah, and I think this is where a great time to tip your cat to Alan – tip your cap, not cat. <laughs> tip your cap to Alan Breed um, because he really – he logged a majority of the point guard minutes tonight, and I think he did a really good job of doing such. Um, but let's keep in mind, Alan Breed is a combo guard by nature, so he's more accustomed to handling the ball if needed but playing off of the ball primarily. And I think that's why you see guys like Devin Carter leading the team in assists because without Jared Bynum on the floor, you need a couple of different ball handling options. And I think we saw that in a lot of these press breakers against St. John's is you inbound the ball to Breed, it goes back to Carter or to Hopkins, who was playing kind of a point forward position today, and they bring the ball up and set the offense. So it, we really didn't have a, what I would say a defined point guard tonight. I think it was a shared opportunity. Um, and listen, Jaden Pierre is a freshman, so you can't really blame him for not being ready to take on that role yet. I think the last time we had a true freshman actually running the point guard is David Duke, his freshman year. Even if you look at Makai Ashton Langford, it took him a couple years. It took Cartwright a couple years. Like the only true freshman that actually started at point guard and played a serious majority of minutes at point guard was David Duke. Yeah, and with that, you could argue David Duke was kind of playing a combo guard or even a wing right. for a lot of those yeah. minutes. And Makai Ashton Langford was kind of the backup point guard yeah. when he played as a freshman. He got real minutes there, and it was a struggle for him at times. That's why he transferred. And there was scheme fit stuff there, and that's not all about play on the court either. Yeah. But it's very hard to be a freshman point guard. Like, look yeah. at Xavier's got a couple right now in their backcourt that have struggled. Um, Ryan Nemhard last year for Creighton was kind of an anomaly with what he was able to do, come in and play that well immediately. So they're getting decent play from Pierre. They're getting what you would expect from Pierre. Let's see how he adjusts, how he grows as the season goes along. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully bottom isn't out too long. But if he is, that means Pierre's got a week here to look at the tape, get ready to go, play a little bit better in the next one. And they got Creighton on Saturday. This is a Creighton team that lost today at UConn. They play at Xavier on Wednesday night. There's a very real chance this is a Creighton team that's going to come into the game at 500 in Big East play, coming off a pair of road losses, coming at home against Providence, feeling the pressure, feeling like they need a win. And we know what happened the last time these two teams played each other. It was bad for the Friars. So this becomes a very interesting game, and it's a must-win for Creighton. You'd like to see the Friars raise their level of play to the occasion when they head out to Omaha. Yeah, I think that's a great point, man. I just want to take a step back here and talk about, you know, you're playing a Creighton team that's under a lot of pressure. Today we played a St. John's team that was under a lot of pressure. And I'd say Wednesday we played a UConn team that wasn't necessarily under a lot of pressure, but there was some pressure there. You're coming off of a double-digit loss at Xavier. You know, you're trying to keep up your top five ranking. And what's the what's the first thing you do in the first game of the new year? You lose. So, um you know, it, this isn't a, a, a foreign opportunity for Providence playing against teams that are under pressure. I think when you look at, you know, the desperation of Creighton, that's really where you want to, like, 
you, you want to focus in on because this is a Creighton team that was highly ranked at the beginning of the season. Obviously, Kalkbrenner was hurt. They had a six-game losing streak. Now they're struggling with respect to wins and losses. And I think when you look at the eye test and you watch them play, you know Creighton's a good team. You know Kalkbrenner's a good player and that they have good pieces. You look at the statistics, you look at the scoreboards, you look at the win column and the loss column. That's where it's like, oh, all right. That that went from, you know, a four or a five seed. Now they're on the 10 line. Uh, and that's and that's being generous. This is this is a Creighton team that at the moment is actually on the bubble in a lot of brackets right now, which I don't think is on. I, 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 th- I think, think that's a, fair. I think it's fair given the resume. It's unfair if you actually watch them. If if you ask me, the Big East right now probably has five teams that are in the top that should be in the top twenty five when it comes to how good a basketball they're playing right Absolutely. now. Yeah, Providence, UConn, Creighton, Marquette, and Xavier are all playing very good basketball, and it's I mean. Any road wins that you can pick up against those teams are gravy. I think you would, at worst, like to split. I think we could absolutely see a world here where all five of those teams split the games against one another. And then this race for first place in the Big East gets really interesting where it becomes what you do with the other games and how you're doing against other teams. And this could be one of those years where it's three or four teams at the top all tied for first place. This could could be one of those where 14 and six or 15 and five is what you got to do to be first place in the Big East. So we're going to see what happens. This is going to get real interesting. This could be a repeat of that 2019-2020 season when you have Creighton as the, the outright champs, but Due to records and tiebreakers, Seton Hall and Villanova also get a banner while Providence sits in the technical fourth place. Um, the, no, I, I mean, if you look at the top of the conference, it's strong. Um, and I think, you know, I, I was talking with a coworker who's a Seton Hall fan this week, and he was saying, oh, well, you know, it's a down year for the conference. And I responded, I was like, it's really not. It's a down year for Seton Hall. And Villanova is not as good as they've been historically, but it's not a down year for the conference. You have five really competitive teams out of 11 teams total. So if you're looking at almost half the conference making the big dance, that's not a down year, not not even close. No, and the other thing that kind of stinks about this too is that some, like some of your top teams here, like you kind of obviously – undefeated there in the non-conference. They made the most of their opportunities. Xavier was really good in the non-conference. Musketeers lost three games, all against ranked teams, all by single digits. Yeah, Some really, really good losses in there. And the Friars only lost three games in the non-conference. Right now, two of those are losses that really aren't that bad. And they have kind of turned a corner and they've changed and they have grown. I would say that is also the same for uh, Marquette. And, And those Marquette losses aren't bad Creighton's losses are all fully fully explainable and they have some really good wins in there too so I think the non-conference for the Big East as a whole doesn't look great because a lot of the big opportunities were losses but none of them were blowouts they're all these close games and I think it's I don't know I if you're gonna doubt the Big East like if a, if a bunch of these Big East teams end up on the three four five or six line in the NCAA tournament, I would not be the one or the two seed that has to play them right. in the Sweet 16 or the round or the Elite Eight or whatever. Like that's that's where things get tough because they're playing good basketball. They just happen to have one loss in November that some of these other teams didn't have, and that's what's going to end up being the difference maker here. But uh, if you look at how teams are actually playing right now, the Big East, the top of the Big East, is as good as it's been in a while. No, I agree. I I, I totally agree. Um, and I think, too, if you look at the, the nature of college basketball at a whole and you look at what happened with respect to the transfer portal at the end of last season, you know, obviously, when uh, let's look at Providence specifically, you're taking in 
you're, you lose all five starters. You're bringing in essentially an entirely new roster that majority of the players were not recruited directly to Providence out of high school. Of course, you're going to get off to kind of a, a slower start than you'd like, just because aside from the summer sessions, this is the first time all of these guys are playing together against an opponent that's not your teammate in a different jersey. So you're not scrimmaging guys in the gym all summer. You come out, you're playing different teams, and you're playing mediocre basketball because you're learning. And like I, I think the, the point that you made, Matt, about turning the corner is huge because all of a sudden around that November mark, you started seeing teams turn the corner. You saw Marquette beat the crap out of uh, top-ranked Baylor at the time. You know, This is where you, know, you have to look at the, the, the structure of college basketball, the way it affects the beginning of the season, and it's how you punch back and what the Big East has done to punch back from the beginning of the season. Because at the beginning of the season, sure, you say, all right, league is top-heavy with Creighton and UConn, and then that's about it. All of a sudden, Creighton falls out of the rankings. It's only UConn for a little bit. But, uh-oh, here comes Xavier. Here comes Marquette. The Friars will likely be ranked next week. And if Creighton can get back on their horse, you know, I would assume they could hopefully be ranked by February or sometime uh, not shortly thereafter. But – you look at the bounce back, you look at the punch back, and then, you know, it's a long game. It's February to March. It's not, uh, I'm sorry, it's November to March, not February to March. It's November to March. It's not just what happened at the beginning of the season that defines where these leagues and where these teams are. Yeah, and that's kind of what makes it interesting. Uh, I know with the team sheets, they used to have something on the team sheets that the committee would see in March that would be, the, I think, last 10 games that used to be something on there, and it's not anymore because they want the committee looking at every game equally. They don't want you to consider when the games happen. They almost yeah. – they, they put the dates of when the games happened on the team sheet, but they almost try to hide them from you. It's like not – yeah. Um, and that's because they're, they, they want every game to be equally important, and I get that. I don't think that's unfair. But also in a day like today where there's going to be so much roster change, it's not – who you are at the beginning that matters. It is who you are at the end. And look at UNC last yeah. year for an example of that. That was a team that had, was highly recruited, didn't come together until really end of January, early February. That's when they started to put a run together and played much better. And yeah, like they had some bad losses in there, but anybody who watched them play knew that the team that was playing on the court at the end of the season was one of the 25 best in college basketball. And it wasn't really that close. Uh, great point, Matt. And I think that's why you look at the automatic qualifiers. You win your conference tournament, you get into the NCAA tournament. And I think that's why that rule is in place, because if you're playing your best basketball at the end of the regular season, you deserve, or you at least have the opportunity to take that momentum and carry it into the postseason. And that's why you have the automatic qualifying bid if you win your conference tournament. That's a great point. And also for some programs, if you win the conference tournament, it's an opportunity to waste $20 million on a basketball head coach. <laughs> we, say, we say as we're I, actively watching Georgetown and Marquette play. So I watched Matt and he like signaled to me that he wanted the mic as I was saying that. And as he was doing that, his eyes were darting at the TV and I didn't know what he was going to say. And now it makes sense. As, as Georgetown squandered a lead against Marquette and is now down almost double figures. And they turned the ball over. Oh, we got a foul on that one. Oh, that was a Oh, yeah. But, yeah, Georgetown, this – the state, I just see, and I'm the type of person where it's like, I'm not, I don't want to call for Patrick Ewing's head. I like Patrick Ewing. And I just, I don't, I don't think that's like a nice thing to do is to call for someone to get fired. He's not, he's not good at this. He's not good at his job. I, I would hope that they would have parted ways amicably and 
you know, that be that and Ewing can still be a legend. He's now clearly, uh, what, what, I don't know what the word I'm looking for. He's clearly being defiant in, in the pressers. He's saying, I'm not leaving. This is my, like, like, like the, the, the I sent you the thing on Twitter, the Wolf of Wall Street, when uh, Leonardo DiCaprio pounds it against his chest. I'm not leaving. Like, that's what Patrick Ewing is doing right now. And now it's a double digit deficit against Marquette. Yeah, that's Georgetown program is uh, something else. I don't think it's in doubt at this point whether or not he's going to go either. It's just a matter of how it happens. So, yeah, that's – Friars are in a much better position than Georgetown, which is nice. Yeah. Uh, imagine, imagine saying that something like 20 years ago, that it was a program Providence was going to end up being uh, basically a better program here than yeah. Georgetown. And that, that's where things have come don't, to. And Don't tell uh, Goodman that. <laughs> Here's the thing I'll also say. I don't mind people saying, like, like I, I think actually Rob Dosser's right in a lot of what he says, and that if Georgetown wants a head coach, I don't know if there's a better fit for them out there than Ed Cooley, because Ed Cooley's really, really good at his job, one of the best coaches in all of college basketball. The thing is, the state of that Georgetown program is awful. Right. Could they be a top-tier program? Yeah, it, with a lot of cleanup. They're that house that you buy that you know you're going to have to throw out the trash and gut the walls and and redecorate and put a lot of money into it to make it work. And, yeah, Ed Cooley would never leave Providence for that. Why would he? Georgetown should throw a bag at him, but Ed Cooley should never take it. But uh, keep in mind, Ed Cooley already did that. Yeah. Ed Cooley took a Providence program that was in the gutter and cleaned it and put it where it is now. And, you know – this obviously we're biased, we're Providence homers, but if you look at the state of this Providence team, let's call it a decade ago to where they are now, to now they're breaking records every single night, 4-0, 5-0, 6-0 conference play. Like, why, why on earth would Ed Cooley want to leave everything that he's built up to go and do it again at a program that is supposed to be at the top of the top? Yeah, and if I want to extend my metaphor here about the house, yeah. Ed, Ed Cooley bought a house that was in uh no he, he bought it for a little bit cheap he bought it for under market and it was a house that needed a little bit of work to get it going and he put in the work and then he built a he put a pool in the backyard he put a garden back there and now he's got fruits and he's got veggies and yeah. he can cook from that and he's he's basically he's in his old age and he can just hang out there and he has everything he needs at his house he doesn't have to leave he can just sit back and enjoy it and he's got all the decorations right where he wants them and everything and yeah. like yeah, he could do that all again somewhere else if he wanted to. It, it's, Why would he want to? He's got this exactly how he wants it in the neighborhood he always wanted to live in. It, it's the equivalent of, of, hey, in the neighborhood over, there's a castle. And, you know, the person that's living there is, is an old, washed up. <laughs> I, I don't even know. Her. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm not as good with that metaphor as you are. <laughs> Cooley's not going to Georgetown. I, I'm sorry. I, could, I couldn't build on that metaphor. I'm sorry. Oh, man. Marquette's on an 11 0 scoring run and 70 55 with about nine minutes left. Yeah. Wolf Georgetown. Oh, nope. It's 73 55. So, yeah, when uh, when Georgetown does eventually come play the Friars, that's going to have to be a big win. That'll be Wednesday, February 8th. The Friars will have a nice week long gap for that one, too. Yeah. A week of prep into that. So, that shouldn't be close. Just looking at the schedule ahead. So, it's the, the trip to Creighton and Marquette. Next week starts next Saturday, so we get the week. You come back, you get to Paul Butler at home, so you get the reverse of that Midwest trip you took uh, at the flip of the calendar there, and then you get to travel down to Philly. I think that becomes a very, very interesting game. And you get Philly, you trip to Philly for Villanova, and the trip to Xavier. So those become interesting, and then you get another week off. So this is a nice little 
a nice little spot on the schedule for Providence where you should have two sure wins from DePaul Butler. I think you'd like to say that's a sure win in the Villanova game with how they've been playing, but on the road at Villanova, at well, that's at Wells Fargo. You can never chalk that up as a win. And I think you'd like to see, let's say, I think you'd like to see them split the road games total. Yeah, four road games in that stretch. I think you'd like to see two and two out of that. That means you're four and two over the next six games and you would be 10 and two at yeah. that point in Big East play with your only losses coming on the road against teams that are also competing for first place in the conference. Yeah. I think you'd feel very good about that kind of turning the calendar into February at that point. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, I'd say, you know, a loss at Creighton, a loss at Xavier isn't terrible. Um, but then again, in doing that, you'd have to sweep Marquette. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, I, the, crazier things have happened such as the six game win streak that we're on in conference play right now. Um, but yeah, no, the, the road ahead uh, it is what it is. Some ups, some downs. Um, I'm most interested to see what happens Monday at noon or Monday at 10, whenever the rankings come out, because I'd like to see where this Providence team lands in the rankings. I think it's safe to assume that they will be ranked. Um, you know, you're on a six game, a nine game win streak overall, including two top 25 um, home wins. Um, you're undefeated in conference play. I think Providence should be ranked. My guess is around 22, 23. Yeah, I, I would personally, I, I think if you had blown out St. John's, then you have a really good yeah. argument for top 18, yeah. probably around where Xavier was. Maybe like one spot behind Xavier is probably what you I, would say on that I agree one. With, that. Uh, with the fact that it was only a close win against St. John's, I think somewhere in the 20s, anywhere in the 20s is appropriate. As we just watched, uh, I'm not sure who that was on Marquette, <laughs> just put that chase ross i think who just put georgetown in a body bag of wow. the dunk that was insane i thought he was going up for a hook yeah that was that was incredible uh we, we need a biggest dunk contest i would love to see that happen put devin carter in that wow yeah um but yeah i i want to end this on one other note here which is that it is a six game biggies winning streak yes and one of the hallmarks of kind of Let's say the the middle years of the Ed Cooley tenure there, at Providence. Oh, I know, I know what you're gonna say. You look at 2016-17. Ross. Yeah, yeah. Chase Ross with the slam. That was amazing. He's he's a great athlete too. A lot of the Marquette fans were putting him up as a, a yeah. dunk contest candidate if we had a Big East one. Wow. The 2016-17 season, you end it with a six-game winning streak. You're kind of mediocre for most of Big East play. You turn it on at the end, and that's why you end up getting the bid. Obviously, you fall in the first four there. Go to 2019-20. And that's that ends with winning eight out of ten and the six-game winning streak. Yep. And this has been the recurring theme of all right, well, Ed Cooley turns it on in February and they get a six-game winning streak at the end of the season, and that's how they save the season. They play their best basketball at the end. That's been a hallmark for a while now. And to get this to start Big East play, it's just it it pulls so much weight off your shoulders yep. like you just feel so much better about it and it's obviously the yukon win is great in here the marquette win is great getting some ranked wins and a road win at seton hall for the most part this is also following the pattern of the schedule if you thought providence was a good team you thought these would be the games they would win yeah you thought they would start this way the way the way the schedule lines up but it's good to see them execute it because playing in the big east is hard Playing on the road in the Big East is even harder. If you're a good team, you can still lose games you shouldn't. Because, again, like we always harp on, these are 18 to 22-year-old, 18 to 23-year-old college-age males who are inherently inconsistent, and you don't know what you're going to get out of them every yeah. single night. It's hard to do this. So even good teams lose games that they probably shouldn't. And it's good to see that we're a third, just under a third of the way into this thing. And the Friars haven't done, haven't had one of those losses where you look back and say, hmm, really shouldn't have done that in Big East play. Obviously, there's the, the St. Louis one now, but. And, and 
even the St. Louis loss isn't necessarily terrible. It's terrible in the sense of you were up 13 in the second half. You shouldn't lose that, and you shouldn't be outscored over the final 7 nothing over the final 30 seconds, whatever that run was. But at the end of the day, St. Louis isn't a terrible team. They have a really good point guard, and, and you know they have the potential to be a tournament team. I think what you know is most telling is the way you respond after that. You lose at TCU, fine. That's, you know what, whatever. TCU is a really good team. It's the way you respond and responding with wins and wins in convincing fashion and getting your team on the same page is what's most important when you look at these losses this season. Right now, if the St. Louis loss is the most head-scratching loss of the season, that's a pill I can swallow just fine. Yeah, and that, that's how I feel. And I think you're at a point, if you if you basically, if you only win the quad three, quad four games here, and you win your home games, the rest of Big East play, you're going to be what, like a 13, 14 win Big East team? Like that's, that's the way it lines up. You should beat DePaul at home. You should yeah. beat Butler at home at this point. You should beat Georgetown twice. You should beat Creighton at home, I think. You should beat Villanova at home. You like to beat Xavier and Seton Hall at home. Yeah. You put it all together, this team's going to be easily in the tournament. And one of the, I mean, obviously they, we've expanded Big East play by two games here. So that messes with things. But remember, when they won all those games at the end of the 2019-2020 season, they won 12 games in Big East play. That set a record, a school record. Yeah. Then they beat that last year. Right. And I think we could see them beat that record again this year. It could be three of the last four years where you set a school record for conference wins. And I, you'll take that in a heartbeat. Uh, I, I mean, what's his name? Uh, Nate Watson tweeted out PC. The amount of records PC's broken over the past six years is incredible. And what, what was the magic number we said this year, Matt, for getting into the tournament? 12 conference wins. You're at six right now, and you've got 14 games left to go. Six and eight is all you need. Yeah. you get like Getting to 12 is two games shy of your Big East record, so that's still historic, and then you're in the tournament. So I, I think the point that you made a couple minutes ago about – Cooley going 6-0 and at the end of conference play to seal a tournament berth is so well taken because we're doing that work now. We're doing it on the front end. And listen, the, Providence is going to lose a Big East game eventually. I highly doubt that we're going to go undefeated in conference play. I'd put money on it that we don't. If we do, hell, I'll be the happiest person on the planet. But I don't think I, I just I don't think that's realistic. I'm sure UConn fans thought the same thing going into the Xavier game. I'm sure Creighton fans thought the same thing at the beginning of the season. No one's going to come out of Big East play with <laughs> no one's going to come out of Big East play undefeated. But at the same time, a team might come out of conference play without a win. But we'll talk about that at another time. Um, anyway, Providence will win is going to win some good games. They'll lose games, but you know I think the work has been done. You know th- these past six games to put us in an in, in an advantageous position at this point in the season. Can't argue with the results so far. Got to be happy with it. Uh, six no in, in Big East play. You'll take that ten times out of ten. It'll be a nice week long rest up here. Hopefully Jared Bynum comes back. Obviously we don't really know much about the injury other than it's abdominal. Yep. Uh, he was not playing today. He did have a very nice looking jacket on. If yeah. somebody can point me to where I can buy that jacket, I would like to. I like the throwbacks not there. Lilo, if you're watching this, you're yeah. listening. Yes, please let us know where we can buy that because I would love one. Yep. 
week-long break. They'll play at Creighton. I believe that's the 2 p.m. game next Saturday. Yeah. We'll be out at Omaha and then a late-night game there at Marquette the Wednesday after. So I think we're going to have probably a little break here on the flex. Yeah. We'll give you Creighton preview later in the week. Make sure to flip over to Road to the Garden to hear some other Big East content if you want to do that. Joe will be on the show. we got others coming on the show. So if you want to do that, come, come along, come listen. I think that's going to do it for us on this episode. Yep. Yep. Uh, you're 14 and 3, 6 0 in the Big East, first place in the Big East. Friars defeating St. John's 83 to 80 today. Love we, that. Yeah. We will talk to you later in the week, but thank you, everybody, for listening. Go subscribe wherever it is you're listening. Subscribe on YouTube so you can watch us if you want to see our faces and uh, especially us side by side here. <laughs> if you want to see some of the visuals from this one, absolutely go for it. Follow us on Twitter at the Flex Hoops to stay up to date with all of our content. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Go Friars.